Donald, listen. Just listen. You know what's coming. You had to know. We were getting ready. Your legacy? For a big celebration. Failure. It's over. And all of a sudden, it was just called off. Your future? You fail. What future? Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will receive the most votes of any presidential ticket ever. Ouch. No legacy. Lawsuits. Lawsuits. Massive debts. Debts. Bankruptcy. Bankruptcy. Humiliation. Humiliation. Melania might not even stick around. No one wants a loser. Your house of cards has collapsed. It's over. Everything you've put off. Total collapse. Everything you've wanted to hide. All your secrets. All your secrets. They're all going to come out. You can't stop it. You need to accept it. Former Vice President Joe Biden will become the 46th President of the United States. President Biden. It's over. You can't stop it. Biden won. He crushed you. Accept it. I'm the President of the United States. Don't ever talk to the President that way. You can't tweet your way out of it. 400 tweets over the last two weeks are mostly false claims of fraud. You can't sue your way out of it. A dozen of these lawsuits unsuccessful. Your lawyers are clowns and your so-called allies won't save you. They were never going to. Do you have anything to say to the press? They won't save you. There's just one thing you could do to help yourself now. One small just thing. one thing. Get off Twitter. Get off Twitter. Put down your phone. And for the love of God, In the name of all that's holy, shut the f*** up. <laughs> 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 Man, that Lincoln Project never quits, do they? <laughs> Why? I got the feeling that something ain't right We'll see I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair <laughs> And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs Clowns to the left of me Jokers to the right Here I am stuck in the middle with you <laughs> Yep Yes, I'm stuck in the middle From with you. Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on uh, KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California in Red on in Red Bluff and Redding. Oh, I'm so I'm just so tickled by that opening. Uh, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, Eureka's KGOE, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, where we'll be talking about you today, PA. In Maui, Hawaii on KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. Upstate New York in Palinville on WLPP, in Rochester, New York on WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, in Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. 
with, as we go to air, 47 days until Inauguration Day on January 20th. 33 days until the Electoral College votes are accepted or not by Congress on January 6th. We will be talking about that day today, Desi Doyen. Oh, boy. 32 days until the election day in Georgia's two U.S. Senate runoffs will determine control of the U.S. Senate. Just 10 days now until the Electoral College casts its votes to finalize, in theory, election 2020. And yes, next, just coming up on Tuesday... The statutory federal statutory safe harbor deadline for resolving election disputes for the Electoral College. We will be talking about that date as well today. That would be Tuesday, December 8. Welcome to the broadcast. So uh, we have been likening the end of the Trump administration to the end of a horror movie where you think the monster has been killed and the heroes walk away from his lifeless body, but they make the foolish mistake of leaving the axe in the bloodied hand of the monster, only to be surprised a few minutes later when the monster is not really dead yet after all. <laughs> well, yeah. uh, Desi Doyen, is the Trump monster yet dead in uh, his quest to overturn the 2020 election results as you see it. I see that we are not out of the woods yet uh -huh. and that there are still a couple of potential X factors that could, if they all trip in the right way for Donald Trump, yeah. we could uh, we could be in for more ups and downs. Because you have been more worried about this than I have from the beginning. Uh, that until he's gone, I'm he's not gone. I'm way more cynical yeah. than you are. Well, so. yeah, that's true. <laughs> So, well, one of the GOP's most promising paths to overturn the results, to uh, bring the monster back to life, if you will, had the been... The reanimator. Correct. Had been in one of the many cases filed in the great state of Pennsylvania, the great commonwealth of Pennsylvania, in, uh, in both state and federal courts there, where Trump... Team Trump had hoped that uh, they'd get to his uh, one of these cases would get to the stolen and packed U.S. Supreme Court to somehow get a ruling from five justices on the Supreme Court that only state legislatures can determine election laws and rules and regulations as per a very radically strict reading of the U.S. Constitution and that therefore, because it's only up to state legislatures to decide how elections can be run. GOP gerrymandered state legislatures in places like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, Georgia, Arizona, etc. would then be able to toss out hundreds of thousands of votes that they consider to have been illegally cast thanks to governors or secretaries of states or boards of elections, allowing hundreds of thousands of mail-in ballots, for example, without proper authorization from the state legislatures. That's the theory. And then those state legislatures would then go ahead and appoint the state's electors to Donald Trump or something. That's the theory. That appears to be uh, that path if not airtight shut now, it is at least a little bit more closed today than it was uh, when we last spoke to you on the broadcast, at least in Pennsylvania. According to Jeremy Roebuck's coverage this afternoon at the Philadelphia Inquirer, if its fate had not been 
abundantly clear already, President Donald Trump's dream of having Pennsylvania's GOP-controlled legislature overturn the state's election results received what appeared to be its final death blows Thursday with a late-night order from the U.S. Supreme Court and an unequivocal statement from the General Assembly's Republican leadership that they had no intention of doing so. The Supreme Court order came in response to a request from one of the president's top boosters in uh, in Congress, that would be U.S. Congressman Mike Kelly, He had asked the justices to declare the uh, state's vote-by-mail law unconstitutional and to therefore decertify Pennsylvania's results, which had cemented Joe Biden's victory by roughly 81,000 votes just last week. But just after Kelly filed that appeal on Thursday, U.S. Supreme Court Justice Sam Alito crafted a telling schedule to hear the case, giving state officials who are opposing Kelly's complaint here, giving them until December 9 to file their reply. That date, set by Alito, who oversees emergency petitions that come from uh, Pennsylvania, uh, that date of December 9 comes one day After that date that we have been talking about for the past couple of weeks at the top of every show, the December 8 safe harbor deadline, that's the federal deadline for states to resolve outstanding challenges to their elections. Once it has passed, the state's slate of appointed electors is considered to be locked in for the subsequent December 14 electoral college vote. So according to federal law, By December 8, all of these matters need to be sorted out, at least according to federal law. Now, of course, the Supreme Court uh, doesn't necessarily follow uh, federal law when (laughs) when they don't feel like it. But um, according to federal law, all of this stuff has to be settled by December 8. And yet Sam Alito has given the state until December 9 to reply to Mike Kelly's suit, seemingly suggesting that if he's going to take any action on the case at all, it is not going to change the results of the electoral votes in Pennsylvania. Got it? Now, uh, Roebuck notes that it is still possible, uh, even though election law experts say it is unlikely, that the Supreme Court could decide to consider Kelly's appeal about the constitutionality of Pennsylvania's uh, uh, vote-by-mail law outside of the context of the 2020 election. In other words, oh, yeah, you make a great point, Mike. That law is a problem. It's it's too late to overturn this election, but you make a great point. Uh, we'll invalidate that law for future elections or some such. But the uh, schedule laid out by Alito appeared to foreclose any chance of the court weighing in before the outcome of the 2020 election has been finalized. In Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania. Rick Hassan notes uh, he's the uh, UC Irvine law professor, election law specialist. Uh, He notes uh, on his blog, the timing here matters. He says, I don't see a path for Trump to use court cases to overturn the election results in even one state, much less three states that he would need at a minimum to get a different result in the Electoral College. Now, that might be good news. 
Uh, several other Pennsylvania cases arising from what has been the most litigated election in states in the state's history, according to uh, Roebuck at the Inquirer. Those some of them remain pending for potential Supreme Court review, but none of them explicitly seeks to reverse the outcome of the election or involves enough votes to change the results by itself, at least. And the court has not moved to hear any of them on an emergency schedule so far, Roebuck observes. Still, that has not stopped the push among some GOP lawmakers in the state capital of Harrisburg in Pennsylvania to find some other way for the General Assembly to intervene, which uh, apparently the Republican leadership in the state is not delighted about. In recent days, uh, State Senator Doug Mastriano has led a group of three other Republican state Senate uh, Senate members and 29 in the House in filing resolutions calling for the Democratic governor, Tom Wolf, and the election administrator, Democratic Secretary of State Kathy Buchvar, to recall the certified election results, which seems highly unlikely. And now, well, it's entirely unlikely because... Neither of those proposed measures were called for votes before the General Assembly ended its term on Monday. So that is out. But facing continued pressure, apparently, from segments of the party, the uh, Senate president pro tempore, the majority leader, the House speaker and the majority leader in the House uh, all issued what seems like a definitive statement declaring this to be a dead matter. They said the General Assembly lacks the authority to take action to overturn the popular vote and appoint our own slate of presidential electors. While we clearly recognize the need for legislative action to address the issues presented by the 2020 election, some of the actions requested by our residents would require us to disregard the statutes and constitution we have fought so hard to preserve. The GOP leaders vowed to address what they described as legitimate and credible issues about the security of mail-in ballots and so forth in future elections as part of the next legislative session, which begins in January. That statement brought a response from Rudy Giuliani, (laughs) Trump's lawyer, on on Twitter, basically accusing Republican lawmakers in Pennsylvania of covering up for Democrat crimes. Jeez. He said, Republican legislature let down America. I'm ashamed of them. They completely misled the president and me. All of us Republicans, let them know what we think of them. So, yeah, it's that sort of thing that I hope to be talking to my guest about in a moment. Moments later, Jenna Ellis, another advisor to the Trump campaign, uh, retweeted a rebuke from another ally calling Pennsylvania's House and Senate leaders liars and cowards and traitors. Roebuck goes on to note, uh, by the way, that none of these cases that have been filed in Pennsylvania so far actually include any evidence of widespread fraud. We've been trying to point that out on this show. They're making a lot of claims in public and on Fox News, but when they go to court, they are bringing no evidence, zero evidence of fraud. And they're not even alleging fraud. Correct. They're bringing up other issues. 
And all of these cases have been thrown out. They've been thrown out by Republican-appointed federal judges, even Trump-appointed Republican federal judges. After the uh, U.S. Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit rejected the latest Trump campaign legal challenge, Giuliani and Ellis vowed immediately that they were going to the Supreme Court. Well, guess what? They have not filed any appeals at the state at the uh, 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 at the Supreme Court. So again, they are lying to their supporters about all of this. The Trump campaign has filed no appeals with the Supreme Court, despite what they are lying to uh, uh, you know to their supporters about and their rubes while they're raking in millions of dollars to yes line Trump's pockets in the bargain. So Desi Doyen is the monster dead yet? No. Why not? <laughs> There's still other states. Well, there are other states. <laughs> that, uh, uh, that have Republican state legislatures who could still try to monkey wrench. And there is another way that they can uh, get through. And that is when that's the date, January 6th, when the Electoral College votes are actually approved or not by both the Senate and the House. And in fact, those state leaders who issued that statement saying we can't overturn this election here in Pennsylvania, they immediately turned around today and have sent a letter to the Republican delegation in the House and Senate asking them to not certify Pennsylvania's election results on January 6th. So uh, there you go. It's insane. It's absurd. But now you got to keep your eye on January 6th, which comes the day after the uh, election in Georgia, the runoff elections, to determine control of the U.S. Senate in, uh, in, in Georgia on January 5. We will keep our eyes on those dates. But uh, presuming we stay on track for this uh, quickly narrowing, if not entirely shut path for Donald Trump and his followers to overturn the will of the American electorate, Well, what will happen thereafter and how will all of this affect the outrage that Trump and his henchmen have been working so hard to stoke now that death threats seem to be flying everywhere? Well, at least one expert who studies uprisings and insurgencies and the terrorist threats that come from them He's very concerned, noting in an L.A. Times op-ed this week that after years of studying the dangers of such insurgencies in other nations, he never thought he would be talking about one right here in the U.S. Colin P. Clark joins us next on the broadcast to discuss those potential nightmares that may await. I'm Brad Friedman, and you're listening to apparently Nightmare Central of late, (laughs) otherwise known as the broadcast. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance. Now, more than ever, from Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So we have been discussing over the past few days on the Bradcast the seemingly uh, growing, increasing outrage by the pro-Trump 
The election was stolen from him crowd, including both the more comical and crazy aspects of it all, along with the darker, much more dangerous elements, even as easily disprovable and debunked claims by Trump supporters and importantly by Trump himself shouting massive fraud are joined with predictable threats of violence against those seen as members of a national and or worldwide deep state cabal and or uh, voter fraud conspiracy to overthrow what the president and his supporters believe in contradiction to all available evidence was a landslide victory for Donald Trump on November 3rd. But for being robbed by the secret use of millions of fake absentee ballots in dozens of states and the manipulation of computer voting and tabulation systems to flip results to Biden, the theory has it, Donald Trump actually won by a lot, perhaps in all 50 states. Many of his supporters are now making that case with no small amount of certainty. And it's not just fringe elements, as one might expect. Donald Trump's campaign lawyer and former U.S. attorney Joe DeGeneva made clear on a right-wing radio show several days ago that the federal government's now former top cybersecurity expert Chris Krebs, a lifelong Republican himself and Trump appointee who had the temerity to declare the 2020 election as the most secure in American history, should actually be executed. Anybody who thinks that this election went well like that idiot Krebs who used to be the head of cybersecurity. Oh, the guy that was on 60 Minutes last night. That guy is a Class A moron. He should be drawn and quartered, taken out at dawn and shot. That's a Trump attorney and a former U.S. attorney. Uh, The very next day, the Republican voting system manager for the state of Georgia gave an impassioned, impromptu press conference in the wake of attacks on GOP officials in his state from the president himself following uh, Trump's certified loss there in the peach state. Trump has repeatedly tweeted attacks against the state's very Trumpy governor, Republican Brian Kemp. It's very Trumpy secretary of state, Brad Raffensperger, leading to death threats against them, as well as to the voting system manager, Gabe Sterling. But the straw that appears to have broken the camel's back for Sterling was a death threat, including a noose that he said was sent to a 20 year old election systems contractor in the state. Mr. President, it looks like you likely lost the state of Georgia. We're investigating. There's always a possibility. I get it. And you have the rights to go through the courts. What you don't have the ability to do, and you need to step up and say this, is stop inspiring people to commit potential acts of violence. Someone's going to get hurt. Someone's going to get shot. Someone's going to get killed. And it's not right. As noted, this seemingly increasingly dark menace is not only coming from the fringes, but yes, from the president and his top government appointees. We reported just a day or two ago that Trump's former national security advisor, Lieutenant General Mike Flynn, who was pardoned over the Thanksgiving holiday by Trump for lying to the FBI and secretly serving as an agent for Turkey, has now joined the call to, quote, immediately declare a limited form of martial law and temporarily suspend the Constitution and civilian control of these federal elections for the sole purpose of having the military oversee a national revote. 
That seemingly seditious demand to overthrow the state is not confined to the disgraced former Trump administration officials either. This past week, the president's current nominee for a top Pentagon post boosted the call for martial law, even as he awaits Senate confirmation for his job. Scott O'Grady also retweeted numerous false claims that Trump had, in fact, won a second term in office by a landslide and described Biden's winning the presidency to be, quote, a coup attempt carried out in coordination with Chinese President Xi Jinping. He also went on to retweet a message that read, quote, calling for martial law is not a bad idea when there is an attempted coup against the president and this country happening right now. But of course, a fish, as they say, rots from the head down. And the president himself on Wednesday in a rambling 46-minute pre-recorded video declared the Constitution and the nation itself to be under siege. As president, I have no higher duty than to defend the laws and the Constitution of the United States. That is why I am determined to protect our election system which is now under coordinated assault and siege. The very core of our constitutional republic is now under coordinated assault and siege, according to the president of the United States himself. If that is true, well, what patriot wouldn't find it uh, to be his or her duty to take any action necessary to prevent such an attempted coup from threatening our very republic? And before pretty much all of this that I've just shared with you happened over this past week, Colin P. Clark, terrorism and political violence expert at the Sufon Center, published an op-ed in the L.A. Times warning that Donald Trump is now laying the groundwork for violence and unrest during the Joe Biden presidency. From the lead of his piece this week, President Trump's post-election antics are dangerous. Few expected him to be a graceful loser, but his refusal to officially concede and his flood of tweets insisting the election was rigged may have serious and long-term violent consequences. Even though he fashions himself as a modern-day strongman, Trump's tactics mirror those of tin-pot dictators who simply dismiss election results that don't work out in their favor and who portray the, their political adversaries as illegitimate and resort to intimidation to silence the opposition. It's the kind of thing, he says, that we saw in Algeria in the 1990s, in Kenya in 2007, and Belarus earlier this year. Now, as Clark observes, it seems we're seeing it in the United States of America. By trying to convince his supporters that Democrats stole the presidency, Trump is actively delegitimizing the Biden administration and, in the process, condoning all forms of civil disobedience and public unrest related to the election results. I firmly believe, he says, that the president of the United States is laying the groundwork for violence and disruption to unfold regularly over the next four years. As a national security researcher, Clark writes, I never imagined I'd write that sentence. Joining us now is Colin P. Clark. He is a senior research fellow at the Sufan Center, where his research focuses on terrorism, insurgency, and political violence. He's also an assistant teaching professor in the Institute for Politics and Strategy at Carnegie Mellon University and an expert in lessons learned 
from international political insurgencies following World War II. He's also the author of a number of books on terrorism, including most recently, After the Caliphate, The Islamic State, and The Future Terrorist Diaspora. Colin Clark, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I, uh, I wanted to open with just some of that latest stuff that I see uh, at least as uh, red flags right now. Even as I suggested, much of what we are seeing uh, is oftentimes equal parts comical and, and seemingly Looney Tunes along with increasingly dangerous. But that's just the, the latest. Uh, those are just the most recent days. Your op-ed at the Times notes that in truth... Much of this is not new. The Trump has been, as you argue, encouraging his supporters to engage in insurgency-like behavior for much of the past four years of the Trump era, uh, listing just some of the many consequences of his encouragement over the past four years. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. I think, you know, every day that you open the newspaper or flip on the news, it's one bizarre thing after the next. You often don't know whether to cringe or to cry. Uh, I think the president continues to embarrass himself on a daily basis. But beyond just embarrassing himself and his administration and, you know, his band of sycophants, he's endangering the country. I truly believe that. I'm, I'm never, as a, as a counterterrorism analyst, um, I, I find it my duty to be a sober assessor, mm-hmm. to err on the side of caution. Uh, not to think that the sky is falling at all times or to be a threat inflator. Mm -hmm. But I genuinely believe, which is why I wrote that piece for the L.A. Times, that what the president is doing right now, he's actively and deliberately attempting to undermine the legitimacy of the elections, of our democracy, and of the incoming Biden administration. And even though we can sit here and laugh about it, and I do laugh about him often. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are people out there who take him seriously. Yeah. And they are, they are stewing. They are uh, locked in their homes like the rest of us for the last eight or nine months. They're anxious. They're angry. And we're going to see this you know, have real-world effects over the coming months and years. You have uh, studied what you describe as the causes and outcomes of every insurgency between the end of World War II and 2009. Apparently there were 71 of them. I had no idea. Uh, Highlighting commonalities between uh, many of those uprisings and what you are seeing now. Uh, Please explain. Yeah, well, I felt compelled to write the piece because at the core of a lot of these insurgencies, when they begin in the very early stages, it comes down to legitimacy. It comes down to a government that is perceived as illegitimate. Now, as I point out in the piece, many times the insurgents are correct. Mm-hmm. Government is you know, unleashing draconian security forces against the population. It's abusing human rights. It's either unable or unwilling to provide critical services. Uh, it's highly corrupt, and we've seen this all over the world. Uh, it's the illegitimacy that I want to focus on, that's not the case here in the United States. We had perfectly free and fair elections. Chris Krebs pointed that out. Mm -hmm. Even Trump's own henchmen, including Bill Barr, have now pointed that out. Uh, But it doesn't matter to him. Facts don't matter. They never have mattered. Um, And, you know, when I suggest that he's encouraging his supporters to engage in insurgency-like tactics and behaviors, look at Caesar Sayoc. You know, Look at the targets of who he mailed those pipe bombs to. They were to prominent Democrats and to members of the quote-unquote liberal media who Trump had railed against for years. And so there are real-world real, real world consequences to this. Mm-hmm. 
This isn't, you know, you can turn on Lou Dobbs any night, and, and you know, it's almost like living in an alternate universe. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are people that have a, a pretty wide audience, uh, and they're, you look at them and say, nothing this person said for the last several hours is true. <laughs> but there are people that genuinely believe that, and... Uh, you know, again, they're going to act on it. Even if these numbers are small, um, we're going to be dealing with a couple of incidents a year that I believe stem directly from what the president is doing right now. And I and I want to well, I, I want to play a, a clip uh, in a second uh, from one of those. Uh, it's not Lou Dobbs. It's someone else. But they also live in that alternate world uh, to get your thoughts on it. But, you know, when you talk about that, many times this arises from a question of legitimacy. Sometimes there's a, a good reason to question the legitimacy of the government. Other times there isn't. Here he's uh, Donald Trump is questioning the legitimacy of this election and the the, uh, uh, the the election of Joe Biden. And yet there have been questions about the legitimacy of the American presidency. Other ones in recent years, for example, following the still controversial election of George W. Bush in Florida in 2000 and even in Ohio in 2004, when there was, as you note, a sizable minority of Americans who did not see that presidency as legitimate. Uh, What is the difference, as you see it, between then and now? Or were you worried uh, then as well about these same things? No, absolutely not. We're in a such a different level right now than anything we've ever come close to before. I mean, we have the president of the United States, you know, actively encouraging his supporters mm-hmm. to engage in civil disobedience. It, it's you know, some people have called it a dog whistle, but as my colleague Ali Soufan says, it's really more of a bullhorn. <laughs> he doesn't even attempt to disguise this anymore, and the message is being received. This resonates with his supporters. And that's the other part. This isn't just a small portion of the country. A lot of people voted for Donald Trump uh-huh. a second time after seeing everything we've seen, the debacles that we've seen on a daily basis. Now, look, some of this is hyperbole by the media. There's clearly a fixation with Trump, and I think we all suffer from outrage fatigue. But just look at one thing in particular. I mean, there's so many to choose from. But the fact that the president regularly refuse to condemn white supremacy, there's no easier layup than that. Uh, hey, sir, what do you think about, uh, I don't know, neo-Nazis and white supremacists, right? That, that's pretty easy. Right. He couldn't do it. Right. He couldn't do it. And and you have to ask yourself why. Yeah. And, 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 you know, as I noted, when I hear the president himself saying that our constitutional democracy is under, uh, you know, unprecedented, coordinated assault and siege, of course, I know that he's lying, but millions of his supporters apparently, apparently do not. Uh, am, am I right to think and to worry that, you know, hey, if I'm a believer and this nation that I love is under assault, it is not just appropriate, but it is necessary uh, for me to take action to stop it, even if that requires violence to do so. Is is that the message that's being sent? Is that the specific uh, message that you are concerned about? That's exactly part of the message that he's sending, and it's what he intends to. Uh, Trump has always thrived on instability. He doesn't care if it happens to be in his own country. I don't consider him a patriot. I don't think that he has the best interests in the United of the United States uh, in mind, and I don't think he ever has. Look at the way that he handled the coronavirus. He had two strategies: one, pretending that it never existed, and two, 
pretending that it never existed. Neither of those actually worked, right? So then he suggested things like, oh, I don't know, why don't you drink some bleach? Uh, you know, the fact that these things are actually happening in real life, I have to shake myself sometimes and say, wait, what did he just say? Right. No, I, I know. And you hear it. You know that that's nuts. I know that that's nuts. But there's a lot of people out there who, you know, hear this as a call to arms, it seems to me. And, you know, as I noted, uh, you, well, you note that Joe Biden uh, so far has said all the, the right things. He's declared that he intends to be the president for all Americans, whether they voted for him or not. He's called for unity. Uh, but then you go on to discuss that those calls may fall on deaf ears because in your research on terrorism, uh, you cite, quote, ungoverned spaces, parts of a country that exist beyond the writ of the government. What does that mean exactly? How does that apply here? And what what's your specific concern about these so-called ungoverned spaces, as you describe them? Yeah, well, it is a big concern in the academic literature on terrorism. The, the preeminent example is Afghanistan prior to 9-11. Al-Qaeda, you know, existed in what, what was essentially an ungoverned space. It was a country that was ruled by the Afghan Taliban mm -hmm. that at the time was only recognized by, I believe, four countries. Uh, and that allowed them to plan, plot, and, and, and pull off 9-11. Uh, there's a number of other ungoverned spaces in the world. The Sinai Peninsula is one. Uh, parts of Southeast Asia and the archipelago down there. But we've actually got some ungoverned spaces domestically. And if you think back to Waco, Texas, mm -hmm. if you think back to Ruby Ridge, Idaho, if you mm -hmm. think back to parts of this country where you've got far-right anti-government militias that live on massive compounds that are stocked with arms and ammunition, those are essentially ungoverned spaces. And if you look at the kind of broader spectrum of far-right extremism, you have everyone from tax resistors that don't recognize the uh, legitimacy of the IRS to uh, so-called so sovereign citizens, right, that think that none of these laws apply to them. Mm -hmm. And the common denominator here in the United States is that all these people have access to firearms. Uh, and that's not the same thing as we see in other countries. Mm. Um, you know, we're on par with countries like Yemen, right, when it comes to, you know, how many individuals in this country own firearms. And I would urge you to go find another statistic or indicator where we're comparable to the country of Yemen, which is one of the poorest and most violent countries in the world. Mm. Uh, so we're, we are talking about a tinderbox here yeah. where tensions are at an all-time high, so are, you know, we, we're looking at record sales of guns and, and ammunition. So people are angry and they're well-armed, and that doesn't make for a good combination. No, it doesn't. And to further, uh, <laughs> to make things even worse, I guess, in one sense, um, I want to play these remarks this week from Chris Salcido. He's a host on Newsmax TV, which until Trump started sort of boosting them lately, they were sort of a fringe outlet. Now they're getting millions of viewers. These comments seem troubling to me as Salcido here uh, refers to the Biden administration as the third term for Obama and uh, really a secret effort to start a race war. Let me play this and, and then I, I have a question for you on it. A war between the races, yet another reason to avoid Obama's third term. But Obama needs us divided. He and his sycophants know that to bring down America, it must be done from within. And that's why they will weaponize race, continue the violence, and work to prevent a more perfect union. 
Is it any wonder so many of us are working to prevent Beijing Biden's return to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue? America can't afford socialism, and we certainly can't afford an unfounded race war. So, uh, Colin Clark, uh, in one sense, this guy, he's sort of saying the same thing that you are in one sense, sort of echoing your warning, but from the other side. He's charging that it's Democrats who are a threat and hoping to spark violence. Uh, so I don't even know what you, you know, what do we do with that when both sides are charging that it is the other one who wants to uh, start violence? Well, it's a hallmark of the entire administration. Up is down, left is right. What you're seeing is not really what you're seeing. Um, you know, uh, no, we actually are uh, putting forth the full effort of the U.S. government to address the coronavirus. No, you're not. So, you know, again, the, the terms fake news, mm -hmm. disinformation, right, uh, the adoption of kind of uh, essentially what are Russian tactics being used against our own domestic population. Uh, there's only so many times you can say what we're seeing is unprecedented. I've kind of worn out, you know, that phrase. Right. And I struggle as a political scientist uh, to, to find heuristics and frameworks that help explain what I'm viewing now. So I'm forced to go into the terrorism literature um, to, to look for comparables and analogies. And, you know, it's scary that there are many, frankly. Uh, yeah, and that's, I guess, my... <sighs> My question here is, is, uh, are you, is your piece in the op-ed meant to be a, a warning, to send up a, a warning flare on all of this, or what can we do about it? I, the, one of the reasons I wanted to play that uh, clip from Newsmax is because I said, well, how do you answer that? How should we answer that? How should Joe Biden answer that? Um, what do we do with any of this, uh, the, these warning uh, flares that you are sending up? I, I don't have good answers. You know, I, I really don't. I'm, I'm still trying to identify exactly what the problem is. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but I don't. I wish I could say, oh, it's simple. You know, we just need to do the following. Mm -hmm. uh, we're in for a rocky road ahead. I, I, I really believe that from a public policy perspective. Um, look, just two days ago, the president was still praising QAnon the conspiracy theory movement that the FBI has labeled a domestic terrorism threat. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is the commander-in-chief. Yeah. This is the person that's tasked with keeping our nation safe. And he's convinced that a conspiracy theory uh, whose followers believe that a global, you know, ring of pedophiles actually controls the world. I mean, let that sink in for a second. These are people that he takes great care not to offend. But he thinks, not, you know, he thinks nothing of insulting Germany or South Korea or any of our actual allies. Uh, so it, it's just the, the whole incentive structure is is perverse. It's turned on its head. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, you know, it's time to move forward to Inauguration Day because it's grown-up time. We've had enough of, you know, this nonsense of the last four years, and we have a lot of serious challenges to tackle. And I say that that's not a partisan comment. I'm not a Democrat or a Republican, mm -hmm. frankly. I get accused all the time of carrying water for Democrats. Mm -hmm. I'm not a Democrat. I'm a registered independent. I love my country, uh, and, and I try to call it like I see it. And what I've seen for the last four years is horrifying. Colin, are you seeing um, any? Are you seeing any specific 
intelligence or indicators uh, that are ringing alarm bells for you above and beyond what we see uh, via the you know the public open source reporting on all of this or uh, or is it just the particular circumstances that we're now in that that you know that Trump is helping to make worse not better which could eventually erupt into the type of violence that you fear you know as a social scientist I'm more comfortable looking at data, mm-hmm. right, and measuring and analyzing, assessing and evaluating. We don't have that data. There's always a lag effect with that, right? Mm-hmm. But what I can tell you anecdotally and just from gut instinct is everything feels different now. Even conversations with family and neighbors, uh, everything feels tense. It feels very divisive. Uh, you know, if you go online, and I'll be honest, you know, after I published the, the op-ed in the L.A. Times, mm-hmm. I, I got I got some serious threatening emails from people who have no idea who they are yeah. telling me that I hate my country, saying things that I won't repeat on you know on Thank this you. show. Thank just you. Just for just yeah, unless you want me to. <laughs> no, 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 that's okay. I mean, no. Um, so you know, just for laying out you know what I believe to be you know the truth, mm-hmm. you're getting slandered and called you know, oh, you know, you, you hate this country, which yeah. couldn't be further from the truth. The reason I'm calling this out is because I love my country yeah. and because I want to see it be better, because I know it can be better. Um, Colin, before I let you go, uh, uh, well, maybe just to lighten things up here for a second, uh, <laughs> in a completely different realm, uh, the realm of terrorism and conflict that I suspect you are more used to researching. Uh, researching uh, Over the weekend, we also received news that Iran's top atomic scientist was apparently assassinated. Um, oh. w- w- what do we know about that assassination coming on the heels of the U.S. assassination of the revered Iranian general Qasem Soleimani, uh, which Iran has you know, reportedly described as an act of terror that they have yet to ev- avenge? Uh, what kind of concerns... And I know that this isn't really lighter, but it's almost more normal. <laughs> yeah. uh, what, 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 kind of, what kind of concerns should the U.S. have right now in a more normal realm uh, as we're preparing to inaugurate a new president in just under two months about all of this? Well, I'd be less concerned about the Iranians trying to retaliate against the United States. Uh, most people suspect, and, and probably correctly, that it was Israel behind the assassination. Um, you know, there was news several weeks ago that in August, the Israelis assassinated uh, Abu Mohammed al-Masri, who's al-Qaeda's number two, or was, Mm -hmm. uh, and was also the father-in-law of uh, Hamza bin Laden, uh, Osama bin Laden's son, Mm -hmm. so who's also deceased. Uh, I would be more concerned that the recent assassination throws a monkey wrench into uh, the potential to renegotiate parts of the Iran nuclear deal, which, Mm -hmm. you know, many people suspect the Biden administration would like to do. but now, on the heels of this, it, it definitely makes things harder. Uh, I think the timing was deliberate. I think the point was, you know, to... It seems like the Trump administration spent the last four years trying to tear down everything Obama had achieved during his eight years. Mm-hmm. And in his remaining time in office, he will try to, uh, you know, make it really difficult for Joe Biden, which is why I go back to, I don't think he has the best interests of the United States at heart. I think he has his own interests at heart. I think he's petulant. I think he's vengeful. 
and you know, I, I'd be glad to debate anyone on on those merits. Is uh, is is it fair to say uh, you suggest that uh, people believe Israel Israel is behind it? If so, would Israel do something like that without at least the tacit approval of the U.S.? <laughs> sure, they would. The Israelis do whatever they want. They don't need our permission. So and it's the not Israelis can take care. They can take care of themselves. So, but, you know, so, I'm not worried about, about the Israelis. So I'm asking that uh, in response to your suggestion that uh, you know Trump is sort of setting things up to be as difficult as possible for Joe Biden. So I'm wondering, uh, are you suggesting that uh, the U.S. was somehow involved in that assassination uh, as a guess? You know, I think there's. it's hard to say, and now we're getting into intelligence matters and speculation, which I like to kind of steer clear of. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's coordination at some level, if you think about some of the other actions that uh, the United States and the Israelis allegedly collaborated on, mm-hmm. and, and also involving Iran. Um, but at the same time, you know, again, the Israelis act autonomously. Uh, you know, if the Israelis want to do something, they're going to do it. Um, and that's their prerogative. You know, they live in a dangerous neighborhood, and they're constantly threatened by the Iranian regime. So, um, you know, I, I think, again, I'll rest on the Israelis can take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. I don't think they seek or need our permission. Sometimes there are, you know, cases where it makes sense for us to be in alignment. But the Israelis are always going to act to protect their own national interests, just like any country in the world would and should. So fair to say at this point, we uh, Americans should be more concerned about the threat coming from Donald Trump supporters than from Iran as Joe Biden takes office. Well, look, I also don't want to minimize the threat from Iran. Iran mm-hmm. is still a major state supporter of terrorism. You know, the way that they act with proxy forces in the region, this is a, this is a major threat that the Biden administration will have to contend with, too. So I, I, I don't want to minimize it. I think, look, there's major challenges on the horizon. We've spent the last 20 years fighting the so-called global war on terrorism. We've now shifted to a different posture where we're thinking about great power competition with China, with Russia, with other kind of uh, you know, near near peer competitors, North Korea and Iran. It's a it's a dangerous world out there. It's a scary world, but it's one where I think we're stronger with our allies, with our friends. And I do believe firmly that uh, the Biden administration will seek to uh, work multilaterally uh, with NATO, with other European countries, uh, the way that the United States has traditionally operated in the world. I knew if we chatted long enough, we would be able to find some way to end on an optimistic note. So I'm going to take that <laughs> opportunity. Colin. Sorry about that. No, no. Colin B. Clark <laughs> is a senior research fellow at the Sufan Center, where his research focuses on terrorism, insurgency, political violence, and cheering us all up with his optimism. Colin uh, can be found on the Twitters at Colin P. Clark, and his work can be found at the Sufan Center, which you can find at thesufancenter.org. Colin, really appreciate you joining us today, sir. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You bet. Okay, Desi Doyen, yep. I had to push off the Green News report on our previous show because we ran long. I'm about to screw that up again. So let's get out <laughs> and we'll come back with Desi Doyen and the Green News report. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your broadcast. <laughs> Thank you.
What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. No, no, no time for chit-chat. No time for chit-chat. No time to even finish the bumper music before our latest Green News report. The state of our planet is broken. Humanity is waging war on nature, warns United Nations, and should knock it off. Microplastic pollution found on Mount Everest. ExxonMobil announces massive cuts in spending and value. Plus... Be on the right side of history. Be part of the solution we must collectively deliver for the next generation. New Zealand declares a climate emergency. All of those emergencies and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. One woman said, given the president's claims of vast voter fraud, what's the point? So his voters have finally started following the president's logic. Wait a second. If the election is rigged, why should I donate? Why should I even vote? Well, this is one thing I can always believe in. Windmills cause cancer. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, the United Nations is telling us yet again that the planet is in trouble. Will we listen this time? Oh, who knows? But yes, that is what the United Nations said. Humans are waging war on nature and governments must act swiftly and decisively to protect our only life support system. That's according to the United Nations annual State of the Planet report released this week. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres on Wednesday laid out in stark terms the damage that humans have already inflicted on the environment on a planetary scale. From death decimating animal and plant life, to pollution, to the destabilizing effects of man-made climate change, with increasingly apocalyptic fires, floods, and storms on every continent. Let's face facts. The state of our planet is broken. Humanity is waging war on nature. This is suicidal. Nature always strikes back and is doing so with gathering force and fury. Fakest accent I've ever heard. The U.N. chief announced that the U.N.'s central objective next year will be to build a global coalition to cut greenhouse gas emissions to net zero by 2050, including putting a price on emissions, ending fossil fuel subsidies, and taxing polluters. Guterres called the recovery from the coronavirus pandemic an opportunity for nations to reset their economies to solve climate change. He also struck a note of hope, noting that several major countries like China and the European Union have committed to net zero emissions by 2050. It is time to flick the green switch. We have a chance not simply to reset the world economy, but to transform it. I firmly believe that 2021 can be a new kind of leap year, the year of a quantum leap 
towards carbon neutrality. And speaking of pollution, microplastic pollution has been found near the summit of Mount Everest. Microplastics were found in all snow samples collected from 11 locations gathered near the peak of the planet's tallest mountain. Those are tiny fibers of plastic that researchers say most likely came from clothing and equipment used by mountaineers. The study confirms that humans are now known to have spread plastic pollution to the deepest trenches of the world's oceans and to its highest peaks. Also this week, ExxonMobil announced a stunning write-down of as much as $20 billion in assets in the fourth quarter and cuts to its spending over the next five years in what energy analysts called an acknowledgement that its investments in natural gas have not been as profitable as expected due to the collapse in energy prices. Over the past five years, ExxonMobil stock has declined by half, while the Dow Jones went up more than 60 percent. So the world's most profitable corporation, ExxonMobil, is not even close to the most profitable anymore. Correct. Sad. Wyoming's largest coal company, Peabody Energy, announced plans this week to eliminate health care benefits for many of its retired miners to save on costs. Peabody has lost 95 percent of its stock value in the last five years due to the global decline in coal use amid the shift to cleaner, cheaper natural gas and renewables. Finally, New Zealand this week joined 32 other developed countries in declaring a climate emergency. In Parliament, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern pledged that all government operations would be carbon neutral by 2025, just five years from now. 2025? Yep. We must get our own house in order. How can we stand and take a leadership position amongst the private sector unless we take the same action that we expect of them? This declaration is an acknowledgement of the next generation, an acknowledgement of the burden that they will carry if we do not get this right and if we do not take action now. Second fakest accent I've ever heard. (laughs) For much more on all of these stories, and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, Apple, or Google Podcasts. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your Green News Report. A little less conversation, a little more action. All this aggravation ain't satisfaction in me. <laughs> See there? Yeah. I, I told you we'd get out in time. Yeah, a little Everything. good news, a little bad news, get out in time. There you go. Thank you very much, Desi Doy and our producer. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com or your favorite podcast site. That is a free service made possible by those generous listeners like you, I hope, who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to keep us on your public airwaves. Uh, You can drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. We will see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Come on, come on. Come on, come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Don't procrastinate, don't articulate, girls get late, you just sit wait around. A little less conversation, a little more action. All this aggravation ain't satisfaction in me.